0: Before we get into today's episode of The Dads and the Docs, we've got to let you know about our best mates,
1: Big W. Mate, they've literally got everything. They've got onesies, they got prams, they've got car seats, they've got all the everyday nursery essentials. They've got it all. Absolutely.
0: It's all quality. It's all affordable. Everything you need from bump to bub. Big W. It's where you go once you know. Welcome to Episode 9 of The Dads and the Docs. Congratulations, this episode is all about the first month at home. By now, dads, you've probably got hold of some of the bits of being a dad, but you know there's still shitloads you've got to learn. And our teacher for today is Dr. Daryl Cheng. He's a consultant paediatrician and a clinical informatician at the Royal Children's Hospital, as well as being the head of paediatrics at Cabrini Health. He's also a co-founder and director of Family Immunization and Travel Specialist Clinic. Matt, if that title wasn't enough to tell you that this bloke knows what he's talking about and you want to listen to him, I don't know who else is more qualified. He sounds like the guy who basically has all the answers from his title alone, and I can guarantee you he'll pass on a few of those lessons today. So as always, dads, let's do it. Strap yourself in. Let's hit the first month at home.
1: Where do new dads go when they need info? They go to the docks. It's the dads in the docks. That's the name of the port. It's the dads in the docks.
0: Dr. Daryl Cheng joining us today on the Dads in the Docks, mate. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. First question, what do you normally see from dads in this period of time, the first month at home? Oh, it's absolute chaos. Oh, it's crazy. Wild. You get home from the
2: hospital, it's a mess. You don't know where things are. There's <laughs> got this new baby. It's like a little alien in a capsule, and you've got to sort out this thing called feeding and sleeping, mate. It is there's like and there's no handbook. I wish there was. <laughs> yeah, mate, that's what this is for. <laughs> Initially, a lot of the questions Uh, around how come they're not sleeping? Are they supposed to wake up? Are they supposed to cry? How much am I supposed to feed? What am I supposed to feed? What if they vomit? And so all these practical questions come up and they can actually... Uh, overtake uh, the experience and the bonding that may happen. And often parents also come in, dads in particular, asking about the equipment because I think that's a safe space. It's like what pram to use, (laughs) like what bassinet, what angle should it be at? Is the car seat the right one? What's the best brand of nappy? And often um, I, I think dads go back into that safe space because that's easy. That's an objective thing. You know, you, you can look up the Choice magazine, which nappy is better rated and yep. you can buy that and you can, uh, you can figure it out. But it's often the unexpected expected that catches them out.
0: Right. Okay. So in terms of feeding in that first month, what, like, what use are dads and what can they do? I mean, I was fortunate enough. So as a, as a caveat, I have been through this period, tick that box, and I tried to be as helpful as possible. But what like what can dads do? during feeding, if it's boob or bottle or whatever? Yeah, is. so
2: if, if baby's breastfeeding, it's really important to support your partner, right? And what that means is that in terms of supporting your partner, it can be anything between making sure they're well-fed, making sure that they've got enough supply uh, of different things that they need because if mum is happy and satisfied and not stressed, the breast milk is actually better for baby right. and the routine becomes better. When you've got a stressed mum... You get a stressed baby they can't latch when they're they're breastfeeding they don't feed well they pull off they get angry mum gets stressed the milk supply drops off baby gets hungry so it goes around this vicious cycle so supporting your partner who's breastfeeding is really important and then sometimes you know we've always got this grand plan that everything (laughs) goes well baby feeds you know like a machine robot 15 minutes on done goes to bed everything works out but it never works out like that at 2am in the morning you know everyone's tired uh, things, things happen, baby gets upset, doesn't feed particularly well. And so it's really important if, that, uh, if there is a routine for breastfeeding, you may need to go down different paths. For example, some mums will uh, pump and express their breast milk and then feed through a bottle. And If it doesn't work, maybe some formula gets introduced after consultation with doctors or, or maternal child health nurses, etc., and then you can help with that. So it's about being what I call ready and responsive, but not reactionary. So ready to be, you know, to help where you can and responsive, if things don't go to plan with the feeding, be amenable to change while you've got a routine that you're trying to do, be amenable to something to be flexible, but at the same time, don't be reactionary to everything. Like, oh no, it's crazy, you know, things are going wrong. Um, be able to, to kind of go in the, go with the flow a little bit and flow in the moment. So supporting your partner if they're breastfeeding and if it's bottle feeding, you can take the night bottle. You know, I often tell uh, tell dads, well, you can be the one up at 2 a.m. or 5 a.m. to feed the baby so that mum can have a good sleep and she can do the daytime, especially if you're, let's say, going back to work or you've got
0: other things during the day. That rotation is going to be really helpful. How do you suggest that dad's best balance in terms of if the so – let's say the baby's crying mm. and the mum thinks it's one thing but then the dad thinks it's the other – how do you recommend they go about balancing that conversation with the mum?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good thing. So we talk about feeding. And then the other thing that I see in, in this phase and you know, kind of this period of time is around expectations. So I'll give you a classic example before I come to the crying bit. The expectations start even when you go home from the hospital. Let's say you've had a baby in the hospital, you go home. It's about setting the expectations of who can visit. Yep. And, and often when the expectations are not clear, that's where the challenges and the stress starts. You know, the grandparents are keen to come, the neighbors want to cuddle, your uni friends want to, you know, your work colleagues want to <laughs> drop off flowers. And so it's about having that open communication to say, hey, what are the expectations? So that's people visiting, that's feeding, but that's also what happens when things don't go to plan, right? Baby's crying, losing weight, not doing so well, coming to appointments. And when you have that open communication, it really Really, really helps. So, in terms of talking about the crying bit, you know, there's a whole range of reasons why babies cry. They're hungry. They're too full. <laughs> They've got a dirty nappy. <laughs> they haven't got enough sleep in in this particular phase. You know, in the in the first month of their life. And I think the only thing that I can say, which is uh, because there's no there's no one size fits all. Each baby is different. And really, where we want to what we want to see is that dads are able to be engaged. Uh, as I was chatting about before, but at the same time, also be able to bond with their baby. When you understand your baby more, that actually helps you to pick out their different cues. And it's a two-way relationship, right? It's dad and baby, baby and dad, dad mum and baby, baby and mum, And so the more you are able to bond and spend time, the more you're able to clue in. And often this has been the realm of, mums are able to tell a little bit more. If the baby's crying this way, it means they're hungry. If the baby's crying that way, and that's because they've got the bond, mm-hmm. they're feeding baby or they're cuddling baby. And so when dads dial into that, that really helps them. And that helps them to be able to have that ongoing communication with their with their partner or wife.
0: So you say like what I'm taking from that is it's a lot of it is about spending that time so you can recognise the pattern, which is like we were saying before, dads like, They like objective things because they're easy to be measured. But if you spend more time with your infant, then you'll be able to recognize that pattern objectively because you've seen it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so bonding is a whole range of things, right? But in this particular phase of life, bonding is often time being dialed in and bonding is also about touch. That's really important here. Yeah, babies get touch and skin-to-skin contact with mum because of the breastfeeding component, but they don't get a whole lot of time with dad. And I think that being able to play with your baby, changing the nappy, doing a bath, doing some cuddles, you know, patting them to sleep, that really helps to build that bond. And in fact, I think, you know, science has shown that that skin-to-skin bond, it's really important. In fact, when we have premature babies, we do something called kangaroo care, where they have skin-to-skin time, a little bit of time out of the incubator or mm-hmm. the the... Um, the cot with uh, both parents and skin to skin and that touch can't be replaced by just you know having someone else cuddle the baby
0: Mm -hmm. Um, it's really important for you to be able to be doubting well I think one of the greatest memories that I have of when Celia my daughter was that small was every weekend the footy was on and then we would just do skin to skin I would lie shirt off on the couch. She would be asleep on my chest, skin, skin, and we would, I mean, watch the footy together is probably a, a phrase that I would like to use. Whether she was watching, I don't know. But I remember that as being like our time and that was also a time for mum to have a break. It was like, it's all right, we're watching the footy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the, the, the tips that I, I suggest to dads that I see in this phase is especially in this age of working from home, flexible working, have your newborn baby in close proximity so if you're going for a short walk down to the shops to get a coffee, bring them along. If you're sitting at your desk and having a short meeting, bring them along or put them next to you, you know, move the, move the cot uh, alongside you. If you're watching the footy, you can do skin-to-skin contact. <laughs> and that just that proximity helps you to remember. Um, and, and that translates into really good practice for later on in life. Because, you know, when you're busy at work and you're away from home and you're traveling for business or whatever you may be, it becomes more challenging to be able to have that proximity. And sometimes it's, um, especially for the, the kids with introverted personalities, just being in the same room as dad or in the same next to dad makes a huge difference.
0: Yeah. Now, I've got something I'd like to run by you, Doc. Okay. It's my, th- well, my little acronym that I came up with and you can use it. I'll even give it to you for free if you reckon it's any good. But when Celia was crying when she was really small in this first month period, um, the sort of matrix that I ran it through was WTF. So I was like, what the fuck's happening? But the W was wet, the T was tired and the F was food. Mm-hmm. So And that was the, the matrix that we ran through. So she was crying. It was like, all right, let's check if she's wet. Yep. She's wet. Okay, cool. Sorted. She's not wet. Okay, is she tired? When did she last sleep? All right, she's a bit tired. Let's put her to sleep. And then we would work through that as like a little bit of a, yeah, like a a flow diagram of where it was and how the problem was to be solved. And if wet, tired, food, and then the fourth one was temperature, Mm -hmm. that if they all went through and we still couldn't work it out, that's when we were like maybe we should call up the helpline or talk to someone who knew a little bit more what was going on. But – is that a good method? Is WTF doctor approved?
2: Well, I, I think for the first you know month of your life, that's really what babies do. They feed.
0: They, they like they what bro- else can be wrong yeah. with it? Isn't that like? There's literally you got food delivered to you. You've got a warm place to sleep. Like you're getting your nappy changed every couple of hours. Like what have you got to complain about? We're like there's only a finite amount of things that can be wrong with her. So that's why we came up with this quick little tick box thing to work our way through.
2: I think that's absolutely fine. I think that, that works really well for some people. I, I think that we underestimate, even as doctors, the resilience of babies. And when you look back, for those of you you know who have older kids, when you look back and you you don't remember that phase very much, you're <laughs> <laughs> kind of like oh yeah it happened, but you were like especially uh, parents who've had two, three, four, more more than one kid, they look back and they go oh yeah it wasn't that bad after all you know it was stressful at the time oh my goodness evolution's ba- yeah. a beautiful <laughs> thing <laughs> babies are crying and it, what's going on and what we we forget is that they're really resilient if there's something medically wrong, for example, mm. or something sinister going on. That's what we look for. And the baby will, won't will stop until something's fixed. And you can tell. Um, and in fact, you know, one of the things, uh, the adages that we have is that we're more worried in the hospital of a quiet and silent baby than we are of a yeah. crying baby. Um, and that's often because by the time some of these uh, unfortunately unwell kids get here, uh, they are that unwell that they can't cry anymore. Yeah. So crying is, a, is an important part of baby behavior. There are some babies who will cry more and there's some babies who will cry less. But I think that checklist is fantastic. You know, you go through it and you, you knock out some of those, those key things.
0: Yeah. At what point should a dad or um, a set of parents like, look for that advice or call somebody if their baby is crying? Like at what point, how much crying, basically how much crying do you put up with before you're like something might be wrong? Yeah,
2: that's a that's a hard one to quantify because it depends on what's going on, and you know you don't want to neglect your baby, which is the the biggest concern. You know, most parents are. I was like, oh, something's not quite mm. right here, or is something wrong? You want to neglect your baby at the same time. You don't want to be jumping at every, you know, timing it, you know, two and a half minutes more, and then we have to call yep. someone. <laughs> you know, that's 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 crazy when everything. Don't start the top yeah. stopwatch every time your baby yeah. cries. I'll tell that's, you, that's right. For free. That's right. Um, but but at the same time, um, it's also about. Uh, understanding that there is there is that that nuance in behaviour. Some babies will cry more, some babies will cry less. Um, and uh, if if you're concerned where the baby's crying for two or three hours, then one one of the things that we look at is that if the baby's crying so much that they're refusing to feed, or refusing to uh, actually you know they're not passing uh, bowel motions or they're not doing the normal things, they're not sleeping at all for hours and hours on end. That's when you need to to look for help. And I I think that most parents thankfully at that. Uh, you know, in this phase of, of, especially if it's their first kid, tend to err on the side of looking for help more often, mm-hmm. which I think is, is good. You know, it's, it's an important part of parenthood that if you're not sure, ask, it's fine. You know, there are plenty of people who've been through this before. There are plenty of people who can give you advice. Grandparents. And, yeah, those. exactly. Maybe a friendly neighbor or, yep. or someone, or even the maternal child health nurse or, or the pediatrician or whoever it may be. And uh, it's always better to be safe than sorry. But at the same time, you don't want to be calling them every, you know, 20, 25, 30 minutes. It's stressful. Um, It's pretty stressful. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I remember calling in the – so there was a point of time around about this sort of three or four-week period when Celia would feed and then after every feed would be just spewing. Mm. And we were like, shit, she's spewing like – Every time we mm. feed her, so we called the helpline, yep. and they said, "Oh, she's just spewing because she's full. Yep. You can't overfeed a baby." Was the line they told us, and that was like, "Okay, that's pretty good." Yeah, and that really helped us be like, "Oh, okay, cool." There's like that was a nice sort of line of defense to get to before it was like, "We need to investigate, take this baby to hospital, or call the doctor in the morning, or whatever it may be." That was their sort of line of defense. Was mm. like, "All right, this doesn't seem like." It should be happening because yep. she's spewing a lot, but then it turned out it just and it eased our mind like com- instantly. Mm. It was so so helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's a, a great a great
2: thing, and and once you have that reassurance, it really helps. Yeah, um, and that's the reason why we say look for help. Helps not that you're not capable, you're not good enough, uh, but it also means that it gives you that reassurance. Yeah, I want to touch on an interesting point there because one of the things that that uh, goes perhaps undetected or. or Uh, is missed often in this period is the concept of postpartum or postnatal depression. And I think that affects mums, but it also affects dads. Mm. And often dads maybe don't realize that. And some of the classic features around that, you know, mums get teary and very upset. They can't sleep. They get stressed. There's a lot of anxiety around Mm. different things. But it's also that concept of self-esteem. And I think we sometimes see that in, in in, in dads more where they feel, am I actually... Good enough, you know. I can't even settle this baby; they keep crying. Like, you know, am I, am I, a good dad? Is essentially what they're thinking. Yeah. Um, and it's really important that if you're having those feelings or your partner's having those feelings uh, on a consistent basis, and it's really affecting, you know, your communication, it's affecting your sleep, it's affecting your interactions, it's affecting, and you're kind of like, I, I don't really want to do this. You're kind of disengaging. It's important that you also recognise that and and it's okay to ask, you know, are these feelings normal? Because those things happen um, and, and unfortunately people just kind of avoid it or sweep it under the carpet.
0: Yep. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And the whole the notion of sleep because there's the, the classic like, oh, you're a new parent, like how are you sleeping, that kind of thing. But you really realise how important that sleep phase is to you functioning as a as a person because you end up feeling like – it's almost like you're being concussed, like you're mm. just sort of floating through the day and, and just time is just passing yeah. because you're not getting these big chunks that that is a huge part of how to actually function during this period.
2: Yeah, you know, for us to work in the medical field, we've had that experience when we're doing night shift and switching back to day shift. But so even some of my colleagues who have kids, they, they say, you know, that the sleep disruption when you have kids is – Far worse than the sleep disruption mm. that we have when we work shift patterns and things like that, and so you know it's really important to to recognize that self care is
0: important. Yeah, awesome. Uh, back on the feeding. Mm. Now the classic, like, where does the opinion sit in for, in the medical field in terms of the the saying "breast is best," like that as a saying, which I've I've found that a lot of people can find a little bit. Not not harmful, but they can find it difficult to deal with because feeding for a lot of people is much more difficult than they had ever expected it to be. Yeah,
2: and this is where I go. There's no one size fits all. And lots of parents who have, let's say, a a birth plan and then a feeding plan, right? So incorporated into that, and that's good, you know. And where possible, breastfeeding is ideal. And that's assuming that there's no challenges from a mum's perspective, supply, and so on, and so forth, and no challenges from a baby perspective, latch, and 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 being wanting to feed, and the type of you know temperament that they have. But things, as you know, in this world, are not ideal. And so, being uh, what I was saying before about being flexible and being responsive to the situation uh, rather than reactionary is important. And there's no catastrophe if one breastfeed doesn't work. But if things are going in the direction where it's becoming more and more difficult, then perhaps having an open mind around other things is important. And, and then that's the whole you know, discussion about, uh, again, about guilt. You know, if you're saying best is breast, and if, if you don't give the baby breast milk, then you feel like you're doing it. You're an your inferior parent, right? Yep. You're depriving your child of the quality nutrients from, from the breastfeeding and you're not allowing the bonding. And unfortunately, there are lots of babies who can't have breastfeeding for a whole range of reasons. So an example of that, mum has had breast cancer before and they've had a mastectomy or baby is premature and doesn't have the energy to suck. And so they need something else for the first period of their life. The baby is not going to die if they don't have breast milk. I know that sounds really, really drastic, but they're going to get nutrition in another way. And while breastfeeding is best, we try and do it where possible We have to be open to being able to supplement or to help in other ways to ensure that baby overall does really well. Mm -hmm. And so, most of the time, we look at feeding, or or parents look at feeding, as this kind of one feed at a time, one day. You know, oh, they haven't had you know enough. You know, the breastfeeding this particular time was really bad, or they've had a really bad afternoon. But we look at it from a more sustainable is not the right word, but a longer term approach, right? So you go, how much weight has the baby put on in a week? And how much um, weight have they put on in a couple of weeks to see the growth trajectory? The other thing that we look at is we go, well, there's no black and white here. So some people feel like you know, it's either all or nothing. It's either breastfeeding or no breastfeeding. And I say, you can do a mix of both. You know, where we can, we do as much breastfeeding as possible. Where that's not possible, you express and give them in a bottle um, your breast milk from mom. And if that's not possible, then we supplement on top. So I have lots of of families who, when they open their mind a little bit in that perspective to be saying, oh, it's not a all or nothing. We can do a bit of a blend. And this is not permanent. It's not like saying, you know, today we make a decree that you're never (laughs) going to breastfeed again. And forevermore, this is what you're going to do. Some parents... um, Try it out, and they go, "Oh, this works really well. We'll keep going." Some parents go, they try it out when the breast milk or the breast um, feeding regime becomes better. Then, uh, in terms of you know easier and more, uh, a baby gets used to it. Then they switch back and they drop the formula. Yeah, and often I, I can tell you, no one looks back and goes, "Man, I should have starved my baby and done <laughs> breastfeeding only." When they look back, they go, "I'm so glad that I made that change. I'm so glad that um, I was able to adapt to how baby was doing."
0: Well, similar theory or similar thought is that no one looks back and, and thinks that, but also nobody looks at a 30-year-old and goes, geez, you're a bottle-fed baby yeah. or, like, geez, you're a breastfed baby." baby. Like after the period of time where breast milk or formula finishes, no one can tell whether you're a breast milk-fed baby or a bottle-fed, like a formula-fed baby. It, for I mean, you're the best person to ask for this. Like in the long term... Does it it doesn't does it matter? So the nutritional component of breast milk versus, let's say,
2: other supplemental formulas or other things is is one part of it, right? So you've got nutrients, and the, the formula is yeah, nutritious. Uh, they've they, they add certain things to make it, you know, uh, adds yeah, uh, nutritious or in fact has a bit more calories than than say breast milk because breast milk depends on what mum eats and mum mum has for her diet. But then there's the other components, which I think are, are where some of the longer term research starts to come in. So that's the breastfeeding uh, the the Uh, concept and the environment around breastfeeding. That's the skin-to-skin bonding. That's the cuddling time. That's the engagement with your baby. There's the hormonal release for mum, the endorphins and the um, oxytocin that gets released when there's breastfeeding. And those things you can't replicate in formula. And I think that's where that whole adage of breast is best has come from. I think the milk is one component, but it's the environmental things that go around it. But having learned what those environmental things are, you can supplement it. So oxytocin is an example, so that, that I used that before. So it's a hormone that's released when um, basically triggers the letdown reflex for mum, And that's, that's triggered by uh, skin-to-skin bonding with baby. So uh, when they have skin-to-skin bonding, there's a hormone that gets released in their brain, which then triggers the um, letdown reflex, which triggers the milk to come out, which then feeds the baby. And so that's really, it's released in mum's um, in, in brain as a response to doing something for baby that oxytocin can also be released in dad's brain when they do something sacrificial of no benefit to them for their baby. So when dads have that skin-to-skin contact, when dad's doing something, that triggers something for dad too. And that bonding, those environmental components that surround the breastfeeding, maybe the, what I call it, the ecosystem that surrounds breastfeeding, those things are also just as replicable. You can, you can do that in different ways if your baby's not being able to be breastfed. And here in Australia, let, let's face it, uh, in 99% of the cases, no baby's going to starve, right? We're, we're very privileged in this country where if you don't, are not able to be breastfed, there's formula that you can buy off the shelf. And if you're not sure, you can see someone to help you with that. Uh, in other countries, uh, that, that's a bit more of a challenge. And so when, when mum's not, uh, not able to breastfeed, that's where they start doing all sorts of other things, rice, water, and, and things that are really not good for the baby. And again, that contributes to that, that, that concept that you were bringing up before, which is best-expressed. But in Australia, what I would say is best is breast asterisk yep. in the right context.
0: What I'm hearing is that dads need to watch more footy with their uh, babies on their chest. Yeah, yeah. If,
2: if, that, <laughs> if that's what it is, or maybe go out in the garden, or yep. maybe do, you know, do some, spend some quality time because that helps dad, but it also helps them.
1: All right, Adam, it's time for a quick break to hear from our best mates at Big W. All right, dads, you've just gotten home, You've been home for about a week or two, and it's time to step out of the house with just you and Bub. It happens. You're ready. You're going to do it. And you know what you need to take with you? The nappy bag. You know what's in the nappy bag? A lot of stuff, but nothing more important than the bottle. And by way of bottles, Tommy Tippy is the bee's knees. And you know who sells Tommy Tippy? Big W. And guess what? They're 25% off right now. Ha ha, that sounds like pretty good timing to me,
0: Maddie. And while you're at Big W Dads, just roll in there and there's absolutely everything you need. Picking up everything, it's cheap, it's great value, it's trusted brands. Big W, we bloody love you. Big W, it's where you go once you know. Offer dates 14th of the 12th till the 27th of the 12th, while stocks last. So provide almost the, like the actionable thing for a dad in this period to provide all that thing for both baby and mum is to set up your environment so mum can do that with less stress, whether that be make dinner or put the rubbish out or just like little things that are going to deload mum and be able to then bond with the baby. So if you are using formula, because it doesn't matter in the end, that you are providing the opportunity for that to happen and those that all that environment and that ecosystem to occur to benefit both baby and mum
2: yeah absolutely i i think it's it's about being uh, in in that moment to to support and that that role is re- that supportive role even though it's, it doesn't mean it's an inferior role it's actually a side-by-side thing you know mum does some things and dad does some things a- and there are unique things that you can't do you know that you can and can't do uh in in that phase of uh, of life in that in that time and i think that having dads be aware of that as they go into it rather than
0: figure it out on the fly um, is really important. Yeah. So – and in terms of um, dads seeking advice from like – so other mates are obviously great, grandparents, any other medical professionals and that, is there – like they should just try and spread the knowledge as much as they can and see what works from them or do you try and find one person and stick to that one person? It's hard because you know often, mate. There's so much. Info <laughs> there's there's
2: out so there. much info out there. You read 150 different blogs. You yeah. ask your mates. You ask your neighbours. But I, I think that the really important thing here is that, again, there's no one size fits all. But what I see as important, rather than saying I need to find the correct advice, is two things. Number one, where's the support network? Because mums often have that support network. They talk about mums group. You know, you go to all the yeah. mums come and they all bring their babies and they have a bit of a chat. That's their support network. And you know, they have a chat and everything. One's doing things a little bit differently, or this person's heard this and that person's heard that. But just to be able to air those conversations or air, air those thoughts, opinions, have those conversations is really important. So that that's finding that support network. That might be a dad's group. That might be. Uh, all your mates who have had kids around the same time, you know, you have a bit of a chat and talk about different things. But it's also the concept of being able to find someone who's maybe a role model. It doesn't have to be one person. You can learn different things from, you know, maybe grandparent, maybe your own dad. If you, if, if you had uh, a fatherly presence when you, when you were growing up, it may be uh, someone that you respect really well or, or someone that, you know, you, you kind of get along with because you're being able to have that kind of engagement and support from a group in terms of discussion, but also someone who's been there and done that before. Because often a lot of that support network is people going through the journey together at the same time. Exactly, and right. no one knows what they're doing.
0: Yeah. That's part that's of the right. problem. I mean yeah. that's the reason for this podcast yeah. is that like the information that you learn when you finish the journey is then useless. So like you need the, to get the information beforehand so you can actually action it when you need it.
2: And and so I think, you know, having that kind of role model or role models or mentors, whatever you want to call them, is is going to be really important because they've gone through the journey before and they can uh, support and hold your hand a little bit at times when you need it. And then when you reflect, you become that same person for someone else who's going through that journey.
0: What about in terms of getting out and getting out into the world, like in in this month period, would you expect to see... Most people are able to get out and go for little like excursions and go for little trips and, and what are dads or what can they do to help facilitate that? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question, you know. Um, and in the mul- shit, you just get yeah. cabin fever. Yeah, <laughs> All doing is sitting in your house. especially if you have a baby in winter. Holy shit! i yeah. not getting that side very much. <laughs> Absolutely, and and it's there's a whole range of factors that go into it. in
2: multicultural Australia now. There are some cultural factors, and I know some cultures where um, the baby has to stay in the house for the first hundred days. You know that, really? that that that's something that happens. So and and the, you get mum and baby gets waited on. And people bring in food and all this sort of stuff. And and I respect those cult- cultural things. And there's reasons behind that. They don't want to expose the baby to you know maybe germs outside in this day and age of pandemic and covid uh, you, you want to make sure that they're well looked after and they're warm they don't they don't get sick or whatever it may be but at the same time uh, it, it's also important to be able to understand that at some point in time you're transitioning to routines and so there's a routine around sleep there's a routine around feeding there's a routine around care for the baby but there's also a routine called daily life and you want to be you. You, you you've got to have your coffee or your tea in the morning, and you want to go for, be able to go out for a bit of sunshine. And provided you take steps to you know, keep baby warm and safe, and um, and and other protective mechanisms, then it's absolutely a great idea um, to get out and and about. And that might not be bringing them to the you know the. Uh, great-grandmother's 100th birthday party <laughs> where there's, you know, 65 million people who want to cuddle the baby and kiss them and you go, oh, my goodness, what's going on here?
0: Or you go, fantastic because now I don't have to hold the yeah.
2: baby. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but that could be as easy as taking a stroll in the sunshine, you know, and getting out. And you're right, that, that cabin fever component can be a huge um, uh, pressure point and and uh, anxiety point. And we saw that during COVID. You know, when you were cooped up in the house with even without kids, people had cabin fever and really needed to just go for their their activity. And I think that's because we're social creatures, but also there's um, a huge part of getting out into nature
0: and the outdoors to be able to um, give everyone great benefits. How much are dads allowed to kick people out of the house? Like when you've got people coming over to visit, how much can dads just be like, look, Auntie Jane, you've had enough time, it's time to get out. Like can they just control the house? Like with carte blanche, just like you're free to do whatever you like.
2: Look, I, I think it really depends on the, like I said before, the communication between dad and mum or dad and partner and whatever it may be, right? You know, some people are um, again, some cultures, you know, it's expected that everyone comes and 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 visits, and some some places people just want their independence. I think there's a fine line there, but I think what's really important is setting those expectations up front. You know, there's some uh, some people and some some dads who are and have been quite uh, polite but firm about things. For example, they don't want their kids' photos being put on social media, mm-hmm. as an example, or uh, if they would like uh, visitors to be vaccinated so they don't pass whooping cough to the, to the baby and they want to wash your hands and don't kiss the baby, you don't want to give them herpes, uh, cold sores, you know, things like that. And so setting those expectations up front in a kind of uh, overall way rather than, than becoming a, the police. Um, I think is really important yep. and, and that's a blanket thing. And that in, that includes grandparents who are often the ones who are the most enthusiastic, let's put it <laughs> that way, um, all the way down to friends. Um, and uh, I, I think the when you set those expectations up front, people uh, uh, respect them and recognise them and then that absorbs the very awkward conversations later about, you know, can you please go now because it's becoming a hindrance rather than a help.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know because like it's very tough – for mum to be like, especially if you've got people who've come mm. from a long way or yeah. you haven't seen for a while, to be like, "Look, mate, I'm just rooted. Like, it's I'm sorry, but I need you to yeah. go." So, yeah, I, we found that as a very helpful thing to just like be like, "Sorry, guys." Yeah. And I think that's part of that that support, right?
2: If if there's an agreement, you know, kind of eight past eight PM or past seven PM, you know, it's time to, time to go. And you leave your
0: leave your house like a hospital. Yeah. guys <laughs> visit, visiting hours. Yeah, ago. that's right. There's an announcement there. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes there's a code blue that comes. over Yeah, the top. correct. Yeah, yep, that's right. So you know, I think I think that's important. Uh, how about routine in the first month? Would you expect there to be a routine or a developing routine? Because for the first week or so, it's like we found this chaos. Like shit could happen at any time. Like mm. in terms of some babies will cluster feed and they'll feed like in really short windows. But in that sort of period coming up to the end of the first month, would you expect people to be starting to work out, oh, it, it happens about this time? Yeah,
2: and I, I think that's usually the first, like you say, week, or week and a half, two weeks is, is chaos. Mayhem. Yeah. Oh, uh, and it's also because it's a new environment, right? Yep. You know, in the hospital, we, we're great at routines. You know, the nurse comes every X hours to check on the baby. They come every X hours. So to it gets delivered. Yeah, correct. And then you, you need help, you press a button, someone comes and it helps you, you know, and then you go home, you press a button and it's the doorbell. Nothing happens there, yeah. right? So, so really, um, it, it's about adjusting to that new environment. And that routine doesn't have to be a military preciseness, you know, on the dot routine, because like you said, some babies vary. But it's about having that, uh, that feel to be ready to kind of, you know, it's about time to feed, it's about time to sleep, you know, overnight, they kind of do these types of things. And by the four-week mark, you tend to see that babies have settled into a routine because that's what they do. They feed, they get changed, they go to sleep. Yep. Um, and so when you have that uh, understanding and expectation, I think that's, that helps.
0: Awesome, Uh, Doc. We've probably like we've got to let you go soon because you're a busy guy. But we've got to wrap up with our regular final questions. So, first question: Your top three tips for dads in this period of time—the first month at home.
2: Yeah, that's. I mean, how do you cram all those tips into into one? Your challenge, (laughs) not my problem. So the first one is enjoy the moment. Um, I think there are lots of. If people talk about the big moments, you know, take a photo when baby first comes out and take a photo at the first birthday and, and the first time they walk. But in the first month, it's those little moments. It's that fingers that grafts, uh, you know, you, the hand that grafts your, your finger. It's that a half smile that you see. It's the first cuddle. And you may not have a picture of it, you know, or a selfie in our social media in <laughs> day and age, but it's just remembering those things. Because I think, especially if you're a new dad, those are the things that matter in that first month. You can worry about the first birthday later, the first time they got their first bicycle, and things like that. But but really enjoying those little moments. The second thing is be patient. I think sometimes as as new dads, we always want to be we want things to happen straight away. Like why can't you just figure out your feeding? And like yeah. why can't you just like just, Mate, just make sort it, work. it out? Yeah, it's exactly. Like, I'm here. I've got the stuff <laughs> yeah, ready. This is just like just drink the whole thing, you know? Yeah. Oh, just burp already. Yeah. Why, why don't you? You know? And and so you got to be patient because you got to be patient with mum you got to be patient with baby, but you also got to be patient with yourself because no one comes out and goes, I'm going to be perfect dad today. And that's it. And, um, I, I think that that's, that's the key. Um, don't, worry if it takes a little bit of time for the feeding to happen don't worry if it takes a little bit of time for the sleep pattern and the sleep routine to get sorted be patient because things will eventually get better awesome and the last one is you know um, i love that also things yeah. will get better <laughs> not be shit <laughs> yeah things will always get better the third one is um you know uh, around that whole be patient keep the faith be persistent component i think you really got to find and be focused on connecting um, and connecting means not just be present, but really trying to be active in engaging and connecting with your little one. And so we talked a little bit about you know the cuddles, and we talked about the you know, bringing, putting them alongside you. And you know, we know you hear these things uh, about reading stories to your kids in you know, bedtime stories later on when the kids are a little bit older. Often those principles, that those traits, are formed early on. You, don't, you may be reading it, they don't understand anything you're talking about, but it helps you more than it helps them. And I think it's, it's when you start off that in the first month, you you understand why you do it, you, you get used to doing it, and it also means a lot to you. And then that becomes easier when they're two and three and you're actually reading them bedtime stories. It does, it's not a chore, it's not something you have to do, it's something you want to do. Love that.
0: Next question, your number one dad tip overall, regardless of period of time, the number one dad tip you can give. Well, I, I, I heard one, um, one
2: dad tell me uh, this saying before and it stuck with me for a long time. Was it WTF? Because I, <laughs> I hear that was a pretty good that, That's tip. one. Oh. <laughs> but here's that, that number one tip. and I think that this is so meaningful because it applies at any stage of parenting, any stage of, of being a dad. And, that's if, that, that, and the saying is, if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. Oh. (laughs) If you want to walk in water, you've got to get out of the boat. And often dads want to walk in water. We want to be perfect dads.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, want to be perfect from the start.
2: From the start. You know, we want to be able to be be there. We want them to, you know, to grow up and, and be something in the world. And We want to provide, but we don't want to get out of the boat we like, oh mum. And the
0: boat's nice and dry. Yeah, I
2: know, exactly. There's no there's no babies peeing on you yeah. or pooing on you. There's no punamis, there's yeah. no explosions. And I got, and we like pissed on yeah. yesterday. <laughs> and you go, no, Mum will sort it out. Oh yeah, Mum will fix the problems so or my partner will, will do this or all, all that. But you got to get out of the boat. Yeah. And that starts, those habits, that development, that character development, if you want to put it that way, starts in that first month. You get out of the boat, you're gonna walk on water in the months and years to come. No dad becomes an instantaneous hero dad when the when the kid grows up and goes to school at you know age of six and then suddenly they come become a dad of the year. It starts really early. So you've got to get out of the boat and getting out of the boat means you get wet. You may sink for the first little bit. You may not know. You may be floundering around. You may be trying a few things, um, but I rather a connected dad who realizes and learns from their mistakes than someone who just palms it off.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's a fantastic tip. And then the final question, the funniest thing you have seen from a dad ever? Well, one of the one of the times um, uh, when a, a patient came to see
2: me with, with a baby who was about two or three months old for a check, mum was uh, sick, unfortunately. And so dad, this, this dad, uh, clueless is probably a nice way <laughs> of <how I'm> describing <laughs> it, which is the whole point of this podcast because it's trying to help dads. I uh, had no idea how to put on a onesie. Oh, good. So he um, goes, you know, the buttons and the you know, the, the. Oh, zip. press studs, mate. Yeah, yeah. Don't get me started <laughs> on press studs. Like, why everyone's not doing zips is beyond me. So this that and and uh, y- you know, I, I I wish I had a photo because you would have you would be laughing for the rest of the day. Had put on the onesie the opposite way around. So oh, back to front. Yeah. So the press studs he thought were like a shirt collar. To go, <laughs> to go around the neck. And so that was coming out. And then the hands went into uh, where the legs would go. Good. And so I see this baby coming in, swaddled really nice and tight, but with their hands above the head. And I was wondering what's going on here. They look like a roast chicken, you know, hanging upside down. And that's because they couldn't move their hands up because they were, they were upside down. So I uh, I gently corrected him. Uh, I, I didn't correct him up front. I just took the whole onesie off, weighed the baby and they put it on nicely. And he was like, oh. I've never seen my baby able to move
0: their hands. <laughs> now I have to swaddle. So that that so sounds funny. like a dad who's ready to get out of the boat. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. absolutely right. I love that. Dr. Daryl Cheng, mate, thank you so much for joining us. No Appreciate worries. It.
2: Thanks for having me. Thank you.
1: Now you know what to do from feeding to pigs. You've been with the dad.
0: Thanks for listening to Our Little Dad podcast. We really appreciate it and we would really appreciate if you could also rate and review it wherever you're listening. It would help to share it around if you gave it five stars and wrote a little note. We really want to get this information out there so new dads can be of more use than we were when we were useless new dads. If you want to get in touch with us, We've got an email, the dads and the docs at gmail.com because we're tight asses and we couldn't afford an actual email because this is a little independent podcast of our own. If you want to get in touch with us on the socials, at Adam Denston or at Maddie underscore EF or the dads and the Docs. it's across TikTok, it's across Instagram, check them out, give it a follow, tell all your mates as well, share all the posts around, we'd really, really appreciate it. Also, this episode was produced by us, Maddie and Adam, and also by Radio Mike. You can find him at Radio Mike on his socials. And the intro song and outro song were made by at Mikey D Graham. Mikey D, legend, very catchy, and we really appreciate that too. All right, that's enough rambling from us. Thank you for being a part of the show. We look forward to the extra episodes. Time to get back dating. It's time for us to get back dating too. So we'll talk to you next week. And one more thing to add before we do head off, the information in this podcast is very general in nature and intended to help everybody prepare for what is to come in his best way possible. But if you do have any concerns or queries or questions about your health or your baby's health or your partner's health, please go direct to your health practitioner. They will be able to answer your questions in the best way possible. There's also so many resources out there for people who are struggling, Lifeline, panda the panda helpline is fantastic the maternal child health nurse hotline also talk to your friends and family good luck out there everyone see you later now that we've finished that episode of the dads and the docs we've got to thank our best mates at big w
1: mate don't i have a deal for you huggies value pack of nappies is only 46 bucks at big w that's saving 13 bucks per pack and once you buy about a million nappies that you're gonna need that's a lot of savings.
0: Exactly right, Maddie. And not only have they got them, they've got quality, they've got affordability, and that's why they are our best mates. Big W, it's where you go once you know.
1: Offer dates 26th of the 10th to the 8th of the 11th while stocks last.